Just across the street from the marble-white buildings, brick pathways, and magnolia trees of Emory University stands a deteriorating shopping center. Once home to quaint local businesses, now stands a mismatched troupe of chain restaurants, struggling small businesses, and empty parking lots. The village's residential feel stands in contrast to the bustling Emory campus across the street. How did we get here? When did this walkable collection of businesses, perfect for student patronage, lose what it had? From the Emory Wheel, I'm Kira Barish. And I'm Titi Nguyen. This is Wheel Talk. Emory Village was constructed in the 1920s. Emory alumni from the 1970s and 80s remembered the area being home to a, quote, dance studio, dental office, watch repair, hardware store, lending library, and florist shops, end quote, according to the Emory Historian blog. The blog notes competing gas stations, a community movie theater, and general store Hortons. That is not what is seen today. Since the COVID-19 pandemic in 2020, Emory Village businesses have fought to stay afloat. The owner of Dragon Bowl, Rich Che, announced that they would not be renewing their lease and that the restaurant would be closing on February 3rd. Baker Dude took over the space left over from now-closed breakfast restaurant Rise and Dine, only to close soon after it opened. We talked to editor-at-large Eva Reutberg, who's been exploring this story about what happened to Emory Village. What is the current situation in the village? Right now, the village seems to be in a state of flux. Some businesses are closing, and many are in the process of opening now. And members of the Emory Village Alliance are establishing new zoning overlay proposals. There are new events planned by the EVA, etc. So many things happening right now. I was able to talk to Dragon Bowl owner Rich Che, and he told me why he chose to close down Dragon Bowl in February. Business rebounded, but it didn't rebound to pre-pandemic levels. Mm-hmm. And the biggest issue over the last two years has just been labor has been incredibly difficult to find, and um, food costs have just gone up dramatically. So looks like a great location, but you know it's not necessarily. We certainly didn't get as much student traffic as we thought we should. I also talked to Todd Hill, the head of the Emory Village Alliance, about why these closures are happening. He stated that three lanes of pavement can be uncomfortable for pedestrians. Surface parking is right next to the road, which may not always be comfortable, walkable, or pedestrian friendly. So, what have you been able to find out from members of the Emory Village Alliance? The Emory Village Alliance isn't a governmental organization. They're kind of just a board uh, that works to advocate for the village. Um, And I learned from Todd Hill that many businesses in the village have struggled since the COVID-19 pandemic, and that changed a lot of things in the village. Uh, The village relies a lot on student and teacher patronage, and that obviously was completely eradicated after the pandemic. I also learned that some rumors from students aren't true. There aren't these kind of evil developers in the village who randomly hike up the prices of the land in order to push businesses out. Um, It's more of natural economic processes that allow some businesses to fail while others thrive. I talked to Keegan Myers, SGA president-elect, who sits on the board of directors of the Emory Village Alliance. 
the Underdog Line, which is a non-profit um, entity that kind of makes up, um, just kind of serves as like an advocacy point for a lot of the businesses in Emory Village. Um, so they don't have any direct control over like any of the uh, businesses. They're kind of an opt-in system for the businesses um, in the village. So um, what they want to do is to make sure that on that board, that there are like student representatives and there are um, people from the community. So Emory being a huge like stakeholder in Emory Village, obviously is named after it and whatnot. Um, they wanted to make sure that students like voices were heard. And so, what is the EVA trying to accomplish right now? The EVA is currently trying to revisit a zoning policy from 2007 that would make the village more of a mixed-use development. That would make the area look kind of like a mini downtown Decatur with two to three-story buildings and offices, condominiums, apartments. The EVA thinks this is what is needed in order to restore vitality to the area and they're putting an updated version of the 2007 overlay on the DeKalb Board of Commissioners March 30th agenda. Uh, right now, uh, the Emory Village has a uh, has the zoning uh, area there is from 2007, um, and it was like an ambitious plan at the time, uh, but it has been updated now in 16 years. And so they're just asking DeKalb County commissioners to um, revisit that zoning policy and to allow a little bit more expansive development in the area um, to allow for things like new businesses to come in. Todd Hill said that the Alliance has a strategic planning meeting coming up on the 29th, which people are invited to talk at from 2 to 3.30. So this is still an ongoing issue, but why did you choose to report on this story and why do you think it's important? So I've just graduated from the Oxford campus and when I came to the Atlanta campus, I was really excited to enjoy some of the more urban elements of Atlanta, including areas such as the village but I found that there was less enthusiasm among students about the area that I expected, and I wanted to find out why. And then there's talks about a concert series. Uh, can you tell us a little bit more about the aims of it? So the Emory Village Alliance is hosting an event coming up on April 22nd. Keegan gave me some more details about it. So on April 22nd, they're hosting a um concert series in Emory Village. They are actually bringing together like a lot of community groups to benefit this uh, called the Clean Up the Creek concert. Um, so it's to benefit a rainwater garden and park in uh, at the South Fork Conservancy is planning uh, on Pee Gun Creek um, on the edge of Emory Village and uh, near the Panera Bed kind of area and it's like it's somewhat you know a, polluted, they're working to solve that and like create like this um, kind of ecological spot. In your conversation with the EVA head Todd Hill, he mentioned that these kinds of events used to be commonplace in the village. Hill said that there were three bars and music until like 1am in the 70s. I asked him if this would be what he wants to see in the future. Hill said he doesn't mind nighttime entertainment. He says it's a better community at the end of the day. We were able to talk to Eva later that week, where she detailed her discussion with Cynthia Talks, another board member of the EVA. What the Emory Village Alliance is doing here is um, adding significant revisions to the plan in order to um, accomplish several goals, a few of which are kind of attracting more pedestrian-oriented business, um, creating a mixed-use community which combines restaurants, shops, offices, residences, and um, recreational gathering places. Um, 
which the 2007 zoning overlay had initially attempted to do, but um, now they want to go further. Eva mentioned to us how zoning changes by the EVA would affect pedestrians in Emory Village. Um, there's several elements of the plan that serve to kind of promote pedestrian safety. So in terms of roadways, um, they want to reduce required off-street parking. Um, they're looking to promote shared parking facilities, um, adding bicycle lanes to roadways, um, and implementing sort of traffic calming techniques such as the roundabout that um, we all know and love in Emory Village, um, and other methods like that to make the flow of traffic more smooth um, for both pedestrians and uh, people in vehicles. Eva communicated Cynthia's perspective on how changes would affect housing in Emory Village. She talks about housing. She, you know, she says that there's um, currently, like, you're only allowed to develop housing in the area if it's, like, quote-unquote luxury housing. And this new overlay is going to create, um, like, it's good to allow developers to have, like, smaller housing with smaller apartments that could be, like, more affordable. And she says, like, this is going to allow, like, workers and, like, um, underserved communities and etc to you know be part of like what some people when some people consider to be um, a very uh, like upper scale neighborhood. Lastly, we asked her what the most significant change that the EVA is hoping to get out of these zoning changes. A large element of the new zoning overlay plan is an effort to create mixed use development. Mixed use development meaning at the same place where people live, they can also work and uh, eat, you know, at restaurants or shop at retail places, things like that. Um, Cynthia said that she wanted to, quote, liven up the streets, end quote. And so a large element of that in the plan is that um, they have a requirement that for every new uh, building that is built, and it must have at least a two-story minimum. And so they want to make uh, Emory Village become a lot more urban, a lot more pedestrian friendly, and a lot more oriented towards both living and working and eating. There appears to be a change in what Emory Village used to be and what it offers now. The state of the village reflects Georgia and nationwide trends of economic conditions post-pandemic. With new business and the EVA attempting to change zoning laws, Things might be looking up, but with the lasting impact of the pandemic and the current economic climate, will Emory Village ever live up to the hopes of the Alliance? I think that there are a lot of changes currently happening in the village, but the thing that's most evident to me is that all the stakeholders here, students, the Alliance, want to be working together to keep the village alive and adapt to this volatile economic climate. Nobody is indifferent to the outcomes of the village. Thank you for listening to this episode of Wheel Talk. Wheel Talk is produced by Kira Barish, Nico Huang, and Ha Tian Nguyen, along with contributions from Sushmita Rajan, Joyce Zhang, Annie Pei, and Sophia Lynn David. Additional support was provided by Gabriella Lewis, Matthew Chupak, Sarah Davis, and Claire Fenton. Real Talk can be found on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and more. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and share our podcasts. Don't forget to listen to Wheel's other two podcasts, Clifton Culture and Within the Margins.